Hello and welcome to Baby Banter, a podcast all about play and development. I'm your host, Nicole Pates, aka Nicole Kids Physio. I'm a mum of two and a baby in kids physio, and I'm here to help you help your baby thrive. This podcast tries to cut through all the BS you hear all the time in parenthood. Those statements that increase your stress and worry like, your baby shouldn't sit before they can sit by themselves. And I'm joined by my two beautiful, amazing new mummers, Monique and Helen. They're two first-time mums who bravely share their journey and ask all the is this normal questions month by month as their little boys, Seb and Gio, grow. And today we're recording month 11 with a very special guest, Dr. Aggie Bukowski. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to my online membership, the Baby Play Academy. With over 250 purposeful play ideas from birth to walking, masterclasses on rolling, crawling, walking and baby sign language, bonus extras, webinars from paediatric experts and tummy time and sensory play PDFs, over 150 frequently asked questions at your fingertips and my favourite, on-hand support from my team of physio, OT and speech as well as hundreds of other parents in our online support forum. It is everything you need to play, connect, and reduce the anxiety around development in that first year and a half of your baby's life. Come and check it out at www.babyplayacademy.com. I would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place and acknowledge that they never ceded sovereignty. I pay my respect to the elders, both past, present and future. Hey mum, it's time for Baby Banter. Welcome Aggie. Thank you. And Hi. Helen and Mon, you're here too in the studio. Hello. Yeah, I'm baby free Monique's for the third free. month in a row. And <laughs> Sam's asleep in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Helen, everybody keep your voices down. <laughs> so Dr. Aggie is a general paediatrician with a special interest in infant and parental mental health. She completed a specialist training here at Princess Margaret Hospital in Perth and has further qualifications in infant and parental mental health through the University of Melbourne. She continues to work at Perth Children's Hospital as well as consulting privately and she's passionate about working with families and their kids and as a mother of two children herself understands the chaotic juggle of parenting and modern life so welcome Aggie thank you for having me tell us a little bit about yourself other than what I've already just told everybody what would you like to know (laughs) oh what's your favorite Friday night dinner oh Thai food. Oh yum (laughs) I like Thai food and probably like reflecting back onto your early mothering days which Aggie's kids are 11 and 15 now mm-hmm. yeah so Aggie's a good friend of mine and a wonderful pediatrician but what's something like we talk about even as health professionals we get caught up in anxiety or stress or things that people comment on what's the one thing you remember about your little ones that you're like oh my god I got so wound up in that hard questions yeah. Noah, my son Noah my 15 year old was a terrible baby. Oh, he was, it was, it was a tricky time. Yeah, yeah, he was very unsettled and cried a lot and didn't sleep very well and, and had terrible reflux. He actually projectile vomited into my mouth one time. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and, um, I've had the drool but yeah. not the vomit. Yeah, and I, it was just, it was so hard and the st- sleep deprivation was so hard mm. and he didn't feed very well and it was just Ugh, just complete schmuzzle. And I just, I remember my neighbour saying to me, what's wrong with him? Is Aww. there something wrong with him? Why does he cry all the time? Aww. And just just feeling, I'm, I'm just doing this wrong. What mm. a, I'm a paediatrician. Why, why can't Aww. I get this right? Yeah. In retrospect, he, I don't, he's fine. 
He's just having a tricky time adjusting yeah, to that big brand was. new world. And That's mm. right. Reflux isn't fun. No, <laughs> no. Mm. Sensitive little soul. Yeah. And then my daughter, my son was four when she was born and she was just a dream little koala baby. Just so <laughs> easygoing. Oh, and I'm her glad that happened for your second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a nice surprise and... I think I got so caught up with the whole routine thing with Noah. Mm. But then when Maya came along, he was four and he was a very busy little boy. So Mm. her routine was whatever her brother was doing. And Mm. she spent the first 18 months of her life in a baby carrier. Mm. I think think it's so funny. It's such a common, not common, but like it's a story I hear a lot, a lot in that first to second. And I think like you could hear it on a podcast you can hear lots of people saying it but I don't think until you really go through it that you can realize that the effect that you in that moment especially the sleep deprivation and the the feeling and I think as a health professional I totally empathize when you feel like you're doing the wrong thing or you're failing or you should be better at this or Mm. really sucks yeah Yeah. thanks for sharing so openly Aggie and and he's a beautiful 15 year old he's amazing he's great they both are second toddlerhood second toddlerhood (laughs) adolescence is the second toddlerhood but he's a good teenager he's got good insight he might have one of his teenage tantrums and he'll come back and he'll say sorry mum I was a dick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 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 Am I allowed to say that on the podcast? It's okay. We'll just we'll just put an E next to the <laughs> <laughs> Doctor dropping real. all the bombs. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, so, um, it's so funny. Yeah, there. Um, I love. It's just there's all the different stages of development are so wondrous. Oh, even with the hard bits, it's yeah. still mm-hmm. funny. Like you find the joy and the funniness in it. And we've been talking a little bit about that in our chat in the circle of security. Helen, mm. you're going through the circle of security at the moment, aren't yeah, you? I'm doing yeah, doing the training. Yep, and it's just such a nice framework to come back to mm-hmm. in that. That's Absolutely. Yeah. But we've got Aggie here now and yeah. everyone, oh my God, a pediatrician <laughs> on the podcast. What are you going to ask her? Yeah. I know. So girls, the shoot. pressure. The pressure. Well, Helen, <laughs> Helen's got something. <laughs> um, Monique and I are both teachers. So the only time up until having our own boys that we've heard, oh, we need the pediatrician is when they were involved basically in a diagnosis for ADHD or autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically as the mum side of it now, what else what else is your purview what what's the normal thing that people come to you for when would we go to you rather than a GP or is it only a GP recognizes something that then goes to a pediatrician we just don't really know yeah. what the role is here tell us your secrets yeah. what do you do <laughs> I have no secrets <laughs> I'm an open book no look everybody's different every family's different so if you've got a good GP and GPs are amazing and very capable people and professionals and some of them have a lot of training in pediatrics sometimes it's the pediat the the GP who will say okay this is out of my scope or I'm, I'm not sure let's get a pediatrician's opinion or sometimes some families just prefer just to go straight to the pediatrician mm-hmm. and so there's no right or wrong answer or if parents are maybe a little bit unhappy or unsure they they can come and see me as well. I see lots and lots of different things. I do the Unsettled Baby Clinic and that's the first Wednesday of every month so I see lots of crying babies, cow's milk protein intolerance, lots of reflux. Mm. I also work quite closely with the mother baby unit so I get referrals from them with quite fragile, vulnerable families with Mm. little babies. And it can be anything. It can be developmental delay or gross motor delay or feeding issues or tantrums biting Mm. as well as all of that neurodivergence obviously get lots of referrals for that but it's the scope of general pediatrics is massive Mm -hmm. so even sometimes if parents are a bit worried or they want reassurance 
I'm happy to see first-time parents. Sometimes mm. they come with their list, which is great, and we yeah. just go through it and, and have a chat. Yeah, because I remember in the early days, my husband's, oh, do we need a paediatrician just as someone that we go and see regularly mm. and didn't realise... I think because I had a C-section, there was a paediatrician that mm. sees yeah. the baby straight away and then they give their card and they're like, come and see us. Yeah. Mm. But we didn't really know what for. Yeah. So it's really good to hear. It's like that step, if you've got concerns, you can then go on to see a paediatrician if Absolutely. you're not resolving them. Yeah, and I do yeah. have some families where they'll come and see me as a baby and then they might touch base with me over at different points at different points I've had some that I've seen as babies and they've now come back because they're school age and Mm. there's some learning difficulties or possibly inattention so what age do you see children up to as a paediatrician zero to 18 oh cool yeah I I often always think of it as baby but yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, someone said do you only see up to four Nicole I said no I see zero to 20 however whenever they want to stop seeing me really Mm. yeah I find paediatricians wonderful because you guys have just a knowledge base across developmental areas so like physio see motor development, but often we'll pick up with families that there are concerns in other areas and paediatricians help us collect the pieces of the puzzles and do tests or or help try and figure out if there's other stuff going on or if it's developmentally normal or other things that we can do to support. So like you guys, we refer to paediatricians a lot. And sometimes as a physio, it's not that we need a paediatrician, but we just like that oversight and it's so hard to get into a paediatrician. Mm-hmm. We'll often make an early referral yep. so it's mm. there in the background mm-hmm. in case. But like lots of the times when you're working with little bubs, things change so rapidly and you might not need that. Mm. It's better to have it like for us if we're worried or not even if we're unsure, we'll put that on the let's go see Dr Aggie or, or another mm. paediatrician just so we've got that team supporting the family. Yeah, it's great to have that team, isn't it? I really love it. Me too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, paediatricians, they're wonderful people. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Some questions that we have about brain development and Mm -hmm. the like Thrive by Five campaign that really coming through at the moment, especially as a teacher, I have had that in my mind since that TED talk. I'm not sure if you've seen it with the little girl. Yes. No, I haven't. And she talks about her little brother and the attachment. Mm. Oh. And, yeah, it's a really good one. If you haven't, anyone listening hasn't seen it, look I'll put up a the link Thrive, to it. Thrive by Five. I think I know what you mean, Alex. It's literally the girl is doing She's the talk, right? She is. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, it's about attachment with mm. the father and early play. Mm-hmm. It's like that face-to-face yes. play. Yes. Yeah. That's an area that really interests me and it's something I've always had in my mind in these first almost 12 months. So I'm curious, like, how much impact can parents really have on child development through that connection? Is there much research around that already? Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, attachment, secure attachment with yeah. one caregiver is the most important factor yeah. in thriving as yeah, a human amazing. being. Mm. Being yeah. seen having your cues responded to, mm-hmm. having someone delight in you, yeah. that's mm. the most important thing in yeah. that brain development. Obviously, yeah. there's so many other factors that contribute to it and that can disrupt the attachment as well. But yeah. Yeah, and, and parents will say, oh, what's the, what's the best developmental toy for this stage? <laughs> yeah. It's you, you. your face. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Babies, 
that we, people used to think that babies were blank cards, card blanc when they were born. Yeah. And that they were then a blank slate and everything was cause and effect and that's how they would then develop mm-hmm. their personalities and mm-hmm. who they were. And we now know that babies are born to interact from the moment they come out of the womb and they're in a calm, alert state, they are born to attach and interact socially. And if you get them in that calm, alert state, you can actually, they mimic facial expressions. Mm. So if you look at them and you'll slowly poke out your tongue, they will do it. And I read about this. Mirror um, neurons. Yes, mirror neurons. I'd read about this before I had my babies. So then when I had my babies, I checked it. I tested it and it worked. It was (laughs) so good. Definitely a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) It works. And they're born, they recognise voices. They will Mm. turn their head to voices of family members who they've Mm. heard Mm -hmm. in the womb over unfamiliar voices within I can't even remember how many hours they will recognise the smell of their mother's milk over another mother's milk. Mm. So oh, they are primed for social and emotional connection. There's a beautiful book called Your Social Baby or The Social Baby. Mm. And it's the best book for first-time parents because it's all the different developmental stages. Awesome. And it's in photographs. Oh. Yeah. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It sounds it's amazing. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, next it's, listen. I think it's... <laughs> an audible. Yeah, I, I don't think it's on Pictures. Audible. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. It, is, it is on Kindle. It is. Kindle. Sorry. <laughs> I'll link it in the show notes. Come I on, think Mon, you'd be very up. clever to listen to pictures. <laughs> it would be very descriptive. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> it's Lynn Murray. Lynn Murray. I'll link social it in the baby. show notes, your social baby. Yeah. Wonderful resource. I love having all of our special guests come on and share their like favourite resources because it just the little nuggets the nuggets of of things to reference to and it's all within our like ethos of connection before Mm. correction but yeah the mirror neurons are fascinating and the way that their brains work and that attachment and the Helen was talking about being with Mm. as part of the circle of security and helping them regulate emotions and almost like mimicking and then empathizing and soothing and attuning and and co-regulating yeah co-regulating but it's really hard if you're like unregulated, not regulated yourself. Yes. And sometimes you don't even realise as a parent. That's right. And babies will mirror your affect, so your Mm. facial expression. And the way you respond to a situation, your baby's constantly checking. Mm. It's called social referencing. So if you watch babies, they will be scanning their primary caregiver's face, sometimes several times a minute, Mm. just to see how you're responding. We talked about last month with Elise, with going into an early learning centre, Mm. if you're calm mm-hmm. then they're more likely to yeah. go oh okay this is going to be okay yeah as well. yeah. and I don't think you can fake calmness I'm just going to put that out there mm. I reflected a lot on that podcast mm-hmm. I'm like I can't really fake going into oh. this new setting calm but I can recognize I'm like well, I'm a little bit nervous about that this but that's okay and like working through that and then your little one I know that you f- think oh they're under one surely they don't understand what you're mm. doing but they do like mm, they can see like around 11 months I think yeah. they mentioned in circle of security it's when they start picking up on your reactions mm-hmm. to situations and things that make you uncomfortable and they'll start things as That's well right. mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah because I think what we fail to appreciate is that for a baby every experience is a new experience mm. so they yes. don't know whether that's a safe or an unsafe experience so yeah. they're looking to their caregiver yeah. to give them those signals so if yeah. a baby's crying and their caregiver comes and goes, oh, you're okay, come here, you're all right. Let's have a cuddle, as opposed to 
a caregiver who'll come and go, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. What, what do I do? I'm in a flap. Mm-hmm. Then the baby's going to go, clearly I'm unsafe. Yeah. And it'll yeah. escalate. Yeah. So, and I think that yeah. was a question I had after yesterday's circle of security mm. lesson because the topic was on being with. Mm. And the little diagram they had was like a down arrow for the child and a down arrow for the the caregiver. And it was like, let them go to where mm. their feeling is mm-hmm. and let them sit in it and feel the discomfort and yeah. don't just, oh, you're fine. Let them feel it mm. and then let them come back up and be there with them that whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I'm struggling to get my head around is what it looks like in reality to be with them and validate and allow without either getting upset myself if he's upset or getting frustrated myself if he's Mm -hmm. yelling and screaming or trying to distract to get it back to a positive state. Like where's that balance? And I think that's where I've been ruminating overnight. What's that actually look like to Mm -hmm. validate and be with but not escalate, but not get upset yeah. myself. Mm. And at the end of the day, you're a human being. Not yeah. a robot. <laughs> I don't know. You're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and baby's a human being, not a mm. robot as well. So it's Program to have correct responses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reset factory settings. <laughs> Where's the button? Where's the button? Um, it's okay. Mm to sometimes get it wrong, like Nicole mm. said. And you can always have a do-over. Or you can always reconnect and repair. And so you don't have to respond to every single cue because that's not possible. Mm. Yeah, And also it's not going to help your baby build resilience mm. and that mm-hmm. self-independence. Yeah, sometimes you are going to get frustrated and upset and that's mm. okay. Yeah. I think when you're saying like what does it actually look like, I often think – if it was someone my age, like, what would I do? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like, you're okay. And I'm not going to, uh, I'm probably going to be empathetic. That's and right. So, right. Look yeah. at this video. Yeah. <laughs> no. on. Rattle, rattle, rattle. <laughs> yes. um, but being with, you going down with them, it's almost mirroring their concern mm-hmm. in your face mm. and, but, and naming what you're seeing, but not like you're sad. It's, I think that you're feeling sad. So you're not you're telling showing, them how not they telling feel. them, but yeah. you're telling them. It, it, sounds to me like, yeah. Yeah. it sounds to me like, or it looks like to me that you're feeling really sad and you've got that mirror neuron in your face mm-hmm. and you're bringing your affect down with them and you're like, yeah, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And you're letting them sit through that and then you're helping mm-hmm. them on and being with them and co-regulating and then being with them on the up. Does mm-hmm. that make yeah. 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 Yes. So empathy at the core of yeah. it, yeah. how to empathise without just being like, oh, but like, you're sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And I think it's really hard because often – as parents, we just want to fix. Mm. Like we want to fix for our kids, especially as like health professionals and scientists. Mm-hmm. Like we're taught to fix things and problem solve and do this. But often like the best thing, we our job is to create independent adults in our children. And that's really hard to think about mm-hmm. now when they're 11 months old. But that's what we're doing is we're building their skills so that one day we can say goodbye ooh, yeah. at school. or where. And so if you're helping them understand their emotions and naming and discovering with them and then going, hmm, what could we do now? What do you want to do? Show me. And that's when you follow the eye contact mm. and, and help them mm. on the up and things like that. It's funny, yesterday I was, I don't know at what point my brain flipped to like, he's a baby and I need to do everything for him to, he was personality coming out and me more going, okay, I need to step back a bit and guide mm. a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and picturing him yesterday for some reason, I was like, I wonder what you're going to look like when you're older. And like, you've <laughs> been on TikTok. <laughs> no, I haven't. It's like the latest trend. Like, is what does your kid look like 20? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll have to go have a look. <laughs> no. 
Uh, I'm too old for that. Called what you were talking about, Dr. Dan Siegel's book, The Whole Brain Child. Yeah, it's yeah, so I've heard good things about oh, that, but so I haven't read it. So he calls it name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. When they have that big feeling. Mm. Yeah, and like it's just like even. It's hard as a, a, an adult to emotionally regulate all the time. Mm. Like you mm. constantly, but your life experience and awareness is, is so different. But yeah, it's a but it's never perfect. We should never. link that book as well. Yes, whole brain child. The whole brain oh, child. Wonderful. There was yeah. also a quote you were talking about affect before, and it just makes me think. Like when I was at my first school, I've mentioned on this podcast before. My first school was in a very low socioeconomic economic area and had about a thousand students in a primary school. It's huge, like lots and lots of classes per year group. And this Haim Jinnot quote was in like every professional learning day. I've come to the frightening conclusion that I'm the decisive element in the classroom. It's my personal approach that creates the climate. It's my daily mood that makes the weather. As a teacher, I possess tremendous power to make a child's life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or heal. In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a child will be humanised or dehumanised. And that was read a lot multiple times a year with the staff and I think it took me my first year or so to learn how that actually worked in real life like Mm. to be able to step back and recognize how my impact had an impact on my students and it's it's reflective practice yeah Yeah. Yeah. so important but you want to I just want to put a like caveat out there that you don't have to be perfect in every single moment Mm. that's what Aggie Dr Aggie just said before Mm. in the you're not always going to have the mm. very best day and you're not always going to be like a sunny day. Sometimes you yeah. will be a bit of a stormy yeah. day and that's okay. Yeah. But it's the other, the consistency, there's a consistency in approach. Over time. So that, yeah, the kids know most of what to expect and then they can read and be like, oh yeah, okay, maybe she's not having the best mm. day, but this isn't the usual. Mm. And it's, I think it's that consistency and that predictability that builds mm-hmm. that yeah. attachment over yeah. time. Yeah. And so people think attachment is so fragile that it can no, break in no, one no. second, but it's not. Mm. No. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It can be fractured, but it can be fixed. Mm. Yeah. The rupture um, and repair. Rupture and repair. Yeah. 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 It just, it's, it, there's, I read something once, so it's the good enough mother. So you, you can't be a perfect mother, but you be a good enough mother. Yeah. So respond to 30% of their cues, I think, is yeah. enough mm. for them to really really be nurtured. Dr. Aggie, I have a question because obviously you work with families sometimes that are worried, but often there's families that have challenges, mm-hmm. in, whether it's developmental delay yeah. or illness or sickness or things like heart problems. There's lots of yeah. different things that you can work with kids. Is it like, is it different or is it more difficult or is it like, because obviously it's very stressful for the parents, but mm-hmm. it, does you find that there, there's still that focus on connection or it's what, what do you see in your clinics? Of course. Yeah. 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 They're still their baby, yeah. depending even with their challenges. Yep. That that doesn't change. And that connection can be different for different people, even children with profound disabilities mm. can make that connection. Do you find that you're having to help parents understand their baby's cues if they're different? Like even if we talk about neurodivergence, some children have different ways of showing their cues mm. and often we're trying to like when we're teaching cues, there's a very, this is what you're looking for, but that's not always what you're looking for. So do you find that you do that with lots of parents and families? Is Sometimes I do, yeah. yeah. Point out how actually their baby's actively trying to engage with them or their child's actively trying to engage with them and delighting in, mm. in them responding. Sometimes when you just point that out to a parent and they go, oh, mm. okay, yeah. there is a connection there. 
Oh, that sounds so valuable Mm. for having that outside perspective Mm. from your end as well. Because sometimes I know you're in those moments and you're like, what do you want? (laughs) You're like, I'm trying to read every cue, (laughs) but I am lost. (laughs) I am here lost Uh, with you. Yeah. Uh Geo has just recently started daycare. I don't know if we can go on a bit of a tangent. And I was really curious how he would respond. And the biggest thing I've noticed is... He's really clingy afterwards. Yes. But still seems happy. Mm. But recently, I know Nicole's just been away from her kids <laughs> for a few days. Yep, five nights. <laughs> and my husband went away for a few days away as well. And his behaviour changed a little bit. Mm. Is that quite normal? And Absolutely. is that like any signs of like bits of separation anxiety? Is that what you would label it? Or is it okay to label it as that? And what types of things can you do to help them through those stages and try to minimise the negative effect? Yeah, of me going away from my kids. No. (laughs) (laughs) But going to be okay. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Is it just about being with them and and giving them that extra attention? It's that repeated pattern where mummy always comes back. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mummy will always come back. Yeah. (laughs) My poor Noah, when he went through that stage, he used to sit there and rock and go, Mummy always comes back, Mummy always (laughs) comes back, Mummy always comes back. (laughs) I'm convincing myself. (laughs) And so it's that that repetitive, okay, I'm going to daycare, and that cluster memory then that, all right, this is what happens, and I go to daycare, and I actually have a fun time, and I'm feeling not so sure, but then at the end of the day, Mum comes and we have cuddles and it's okay. Yeah. So after a few repeated experiences, he will realise that, that, you know, he's, safe but the the reason the separation anxiety happens is because it's when babies develop object permanence so Mm. that's when they realize that when something's out of their sight it still exists Mm -hmm. so when daddy went away he didn't Mm. just cease to exist Mm -hmm. he has this concept of daddy in his brain Mm -hmm. and he's gone yeah so then they get anxious. He's like, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> so when they come back, yeah. obviously they want to be close. They want that reassurance, that reconnection mm. to make sure that they're safe. They're safe that you're still there for them. And Aggie, like often when you think about kids and ca- caregiving in different situations and the mummy always comes back, we're thinking of like toddlerhood. But how early, how early can this, can babies remember and frame and how early will that start? I think as early as five months. Yeah, okay, cool. Because Monique was saying Gio's 10, ten yeah. months and just his behaviour's changed and Dad's away. Do you think he knows? Yeah, and like, he knows. Mm, yes, no. but in an adult concept, you're like, no, they're just babies. Yeah. But they do, yeah. So separation anxiety t- classically is around nine months. Yeah. But I think that object permanence starts up at about five because – five months because that's when you see babies cry change about mm. four or five months. They go yeah. from that – infant neonatal period where zero to a hundred I'm hungry I'm gonna die I need you now <laughs> I need you I need you cry. Instant. Yeah. yeah yeah and they then also develop that I want you cry mm-hmm. which is a bit different to mm-hmm. the I'm going to die now cry yeah mm. and I th- they start realizing that primary caregiver is very important for yeah. their survival and also for all the good feels mm-hmm. mm. I think it's yeah, a little I remember bit you were talking, you went through that stage around five months, Helen. Mm. Do you remember? I remember Geo finding his voice. I, that's what I called it. Yeah. Mm. But it was like those cry outs. Yeah. Just come now. <laughs> like, I want you. Oh, not necessarily, I need like, you. He would just yeah. scream. Yeah. No, Helen was saying, like, Nicole, I thought separation anxiety wasn't too late. Or like, I can't even leave the room. Oh, he's yeah. only five months oh, old. Yeah. What's going on? I was like, it can be earlier. Maybe he's just really clued into you. Mm. But yeah, he, you, you, that was a, a, the first 
tough period. I remember yeah. having a lot of that at the moment mm. where he'll just cry if I'm out of the room, even if he's with my husband and both dogs and playing and I'll walk out full on. Yeah, that's challenging, Yeah, isn't it's it? a lot. And even, even just before when I was at the physio, he was with my in-laws for the hour or so of me walking across, having the appointment, walking back again. Um, and so my father-in-law had him in the pram and he waved at me and I walked back over and I went, boo! <laughs> and Seb literally jumped in his seat and then had a... <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't mean to actually scare you. So like, <laughs> I was trying to play. But he was also Conflicting very emotions. tired. So, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. The thing that's that's happening um, around that time when they're developing object permanence, it's also cause and effect. Mm. So they're learning that, oh, if I do this cry, mum comes back. Mm. And if I escalate to this level, mm. she'll come back quick. Humans yeah. are very quick, very quick about learning cause and effect. Of course they do. Clever. They very are clever. clever. <laughs> they are very. They're not. It's it's a good clever. <coughs> it's, a, it's a survival clever. It mm. is. It's not a manipulation which people. Oh, Aggie. Past. That reminds me when we we're talking about face and affect before. Mm. I think we spoke about the still face. Did oh, we talk yeah. about that experiment? Oh, the still face still experiment. Face experiment. Yeah. It's amazing. It, yeah. Can we? Um, not my. Everybody listening might not understand that. Do you want to describe yeah, that yeah. experiment about? Because we're talking about nature versus nurture, and what can we do? And mm. we're talking about connection and mirror neurons and listening to cues. But what happens on the other end? So what's the still face? Yeah. So the still experiment? face experiment. It's so difficult to watch mm. and it's a social experiment that was done and how long ago was it oh done oh gosh 70s 80s i think 70s yeah, i was gonna say it must have been a long time ago for ethical yeah, some, some yeah. of some of those videos are very old they are yeah. and so basically it shows a mum and her baby interacting beautifully the mum is responding to the baby's cues there's back and forth reciprocity and smiles and and the baby's taking great delight in the mum and the mum's taking great delight in the baby and it's all lovely. And the mum turns away mm. and turns back to the baby with a completely flat affect. Mm. No facial expression. And we talked about cause and effect before. We learn very quickly as adult, as human beings that when we do something and we get a reward, we do it again because mm-hmm. it feels good. Mm. Action, reward, action, reward. And then... If something happens and you do the action but you don't get the reward, what do you do? You try harder, right? Mm. So the baby's trying harder to engage mum. She escalates her coos and and smiles and facial expressions and mum's giving her nothing. And then the baby, you can see, is starting to get quite dysregulated. Mm. She starts breaking eye contact. She's looking worried. And her little nervous system is getting a little bit stressed. And then mum comes back. And then you can see that reconnection. Mm. And what the still face experiment was trying to demonstrate was how that connection attachment can be ruptured, particularly in primary caregivers who are depressed, mm-hmm. who have that lack of facial expression when they're deeply depressed and how that can rupture connection and attachment. Mm-hmm. But it can be fixed. Can yeah. we, babies are super thing, yeah. adaptable yeah. and resilient and their nervous systems maturing and all the time and changing and I like parents always say have I damaged my baby or have I if I've done this wrong and I'm like no because babies just growing and developing and learning and it's all good adapting constantly yeah 
Definitely, definitely. And, and we know from the deep, dark, horrible days where children were in institutions that mm. the ones who were closer to the nurse's station or closer to the entrance were people who were coming and going every day who had more social reaction, uh, more social interactions actually did better long term mm-hmm. than the ones who had less. Oh. I know. Well, I think that sort of links into something I noticed in the information you sent us um, before we came in here today that it says... Um, parent and child mental health Mm -hmm. Um, as a paediatrician where does if a parent was concerned about their own mental health Mm -hmm. would that be something with a paediatrician or is like how does the interaction between parent mental health child mental health and seeking help like how do they all link in there are some amazing antenatal and prenatal psychologists and psychiatrists who work in that space, who work with um, parents who may have antenatal anxiety or depression or who may have had these issues in the past or have perhaps their own childhood trauma that they're trying to work through Um, and they work in that space. And I do a little bit of that myself as well but I'm not qualified as an adult mental health specialist so sometimes we work together the therapists and myself and now at pch we've got this amazing perth children's hospital for anyone that's not in wa i'm sorry perth children's hospital we have an amazing infant mental health team and i refer to them if i feel that maybe that diet's a little bit broken or if the parents need a little bit more support and it's just been so wonderful being able to offer that service and work together as a team Mm. it's really great for those listening, <coughs> what's the difference between working with a maternal mental health, so like a psychologist working with me for my mental health versus working in the infant mental health mm. space? Does that make sense? Or is it just working on that dyad between the mother and the child? And how do you know if there's the something child? going on for your child when they're so young and they're not communicating that like verbally? Is it, yeah, is it the infant's mental health or is it more like the, infant maternal mental yeah, health? Yeah, they do yeah. it as the dyad. The dyad. Yeah. So dyad that together. Whole, that whole family unit. Mm. Okay. They yeah. work with all of them. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah very interesting. It is. It's <laughs> great because everybody comes with their own experiences, mm. their own transgenerational experiences and and their own personal experiences of how they were parented mm. and there's a paper called ghosts in the nursery have you heard of that one mm-hmm. yeah. no. No. so we all have ghosts in our nursery oh, i was like actually thinking about ghosts from generations past Transgenerational, yeah, yeah. it's just passed down. A very classic example is the cycle of abuse. People who are abused are more likely to be abusers themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the pointy end of that idea. Mm -hmm. But generally the way we were parented is how we're blueprinted to parent. And if perhaps the way we were parented is not ideal, those ghosts are in your nursery. Mm -hmm. And you need to have a lot of self-awareness to break some of those cycles. Unpack that. Unpack yeah. that. So then there was another paper written in 1975, Angels in the Nursery. Okay. And about that how, sounds nicer. Yeah, <laughs> how becoming a parent gives you a new opportunity to change those cycles mm-hmm. and also understand and empathise your mm-hmm. inner child mm-hmm. and perhaps your parents when they were children themselves. Mm-hmm. Understanding all those patterns that get passed down. Yeah. And sometimes it's just, I feel probably silly saying this, but I feel like our generation is a little bit more 
aware of that. Mm, I do. Well, obviously research develops and mm. we learn different new concepts and ways of thinking, but I feel we're much more aware of our parenting and our, how we are. It shapes our yeah. children. Not that our parents, like, I just don't feel like they understood that. Mm. A different yeah. generation. I'm sure many of them think that we're being overindulgent. Mm. But like you said before, how would I respond to a dysregulated mm. team member or yeah. adult who's crying and having mm. a moment. Get over it. Get in the corner. You know? <laughs> Shut you them in a room. No. That's right. <laughs> you would not, not put them in time out, would you? <laughs> no. That would be incredibly invalidating and cruel. Yeah. And yet it's what we're taught to do to children. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I, I say sometimes, I'm like, I'm just feeling really frustrated right now and mummy just needs some time by herself yes. to just work through what I'm feeling so that I can think about what I'm saying and I don't say something that will upset you. Mm. And the kids are like, Absolutely. And then like poor Claire the other day when I couldn't speak and she was like, I'm like, mummy just feels like rubbish. And she's like, I'm not a piece of rubbish. I was like, no, no, mummy feels like rubbish. She's like, you're not a piece of rubbish. I was like, no. <laughs> so, literal. so in the literal form. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, she's bawling. I'm not a rubbish piece. I'm like, oh. no, this is not going it's well. It's making it it's worse. Not going well. <laughs> Uh, Let's read a book. No. Yeah, no, it's, it's important for kids to know that mummies mm. have big feelings yes. too. Mm. And it is, I think it's important for kids to see you having those moments. Like you were saying before, how, how do I stop that time when I'm feeling frustrated or I'm upset myself? But actually, they do need to see that you're mm. human and also... How, how to regulate. How, yeah, how mm. you regulate. Yeah. They, they learn from you. So yep. it's okay to have big feelings. Mm. <laughs> it is okay to have big, big feelings. <laughs> it's probably not okay to... Destroy and things. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. we're speaking of destroying things. Tantrums. <laughs> yes. So, how um, early can tantrums? Oh, I don't even know if I love the word tantrums, no. but that's what they're classically called. What yeah. would you call it? What Aggie? technically yeah. would a tantrum be? Yeah. <laughs> what does it technically look like? Yeah. <laughs> and should we stop labeling it as yeah. a tantrum? What could we call it that's a bit more helpful? A dysregulated nervous system. It's a big mouthful. It's not very <laughs> catchphrasy. Just give me a minute. My child's having a dysregulated nervous system moment. Yeah, flipping your lid. I call yeah. it flipping your lid. Yeah. Mm. So again, Dan Siegel, hand model of the brain. Mm. You've got your reptile brain, which yes. is your limbic system, yep. which are all your big feelings and your core emotions. And then you've got your mammalian brain, your upstairs brain and your downstairs brain. And, and when you're triggered and you have a tantrum or a big feeling or a dysregulated nervous system, you flip your lid mm. and your top brain, your upstairs brain is gone and your downstairs reptile brain takes over. And that's when you have a tantrum. You mm. flip your lid. And, and there's lots of really great authors out there. There's Dan Siegel, there's Mona Delahook, Beyond Behaviours, who talks about upstairs-downstairs approach. So when the brain is regulated and calm and is able to use logic and reason, and then there's the downstairs up approach, which is flipping your mm. lid. Mm -hmm. So you know, when person's in that state, they're in fight or flight. Mm. You can't. It's like trying to use logic with a drunk person. You, you need to help them co-regulate and then afterwards you repair and, and talk about what happened when they're able to use that logical part of their brain. Yeah, we call it, I, I'm losing my bananas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's losing her bananas Mom's right losing now. Bananas. You've lost I like the idea of flipping the lid though. Yeah. 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 Talking about the head and the yes. brain. Yeah, yes. and those parts of your brain mm. aren't switched mm. on at all. Yeah, and they can't just stop it. They can't stop it. Mm. They can't use those higher order skills yeah. to mm. regulate and say, actually, I really didn't like it when you poured that water over mm. my head in the bath. So when would we see the flipping the lid? What's the 
like what's our range of normal variants of when it starts? Like how early could it potentially start? I'm just going to pick a number. Yeah. Probably about nine months. Yeah, when that awareness comes yeah. about. Um, but classically, it's, you know, from 12 months yeah. mm-hmm. when they start realising that they're, they're actually have some autonomy mm. and have opinions and feelings and they can express their wants in words. Mm. Even if yeah. it's not rational. Yes. Like the banana. That's right. Yeah, or the banana. <laughs> they can actually say no. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, or shake their head yeah. <laughs> at you over and over again. So it's once they start having that realisation mm. that I think if their needs aren't being met or their wants aren't being met. That's it must be so hard if they can't communicate mm. what they're exactly they want. Yeah. Well. And, <laughs> and you're like, this or this or yeah. this or this, what is it? We're all right. And, and that's where it's some kids with um, expressive speech delay or expressive language delay can get very frustrated mm. and... Mm-hmm. And um, flip their lid for that reason because they can't communicate mm. what mm. they need or want. Yeah, that's a hard one. I know we keep talking about different months. Is there particular leaps? Or we've, we've, what are leaps and mm. when do they generally happen? And like over the 12 months we've had already, when would they generally happen? And then if we're looking at the year ahead, when yeah. would we see other leaps happen? So the classic one is that six week yep. mark where they cry. Yeah. And that's the peak of crying. Um, And often that's when you'll see babies labelled as colic or Mm, violent reflux, whereas actually it's a normal developmental stage Mm -hmm. where they're going through a bit of a developmental leap. And often what you find is after that period of crying, that's when you're going to get your social smile. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're so much more engaged and they start vocalising more. So that's your classic one. Then there's that four or five months sleep regression. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We call it a progression. <laughs> progression. Progress, <laughs> progressing, progressing in so, the brain. So yeah. there are those certain developmental leaps that we know about and someone wrote a book about it called The Wonder Weeks and made oh. lots of money. Mm. Yeah. Do you like that app? I have never used it. Oh, I feel like it sets parents up because it's based on averages. So mm. the motor skills side of it speaking from a physio point of view, parents will often freak out if mm-hmm. they're not doing the thing. I think they have changed the language a little bit in the app, but it used to be like they should be doing this by this many weeks and obviously like half of babies or you know, yeah. this percentage still wouldn't be. So parents would then be like, oh, my God. I don't like any of those no. apps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate them. Yeah. Mm. Um, Tell me why. Tell me more. Because babies aren't robots mm. and – they don't eat the same amount every day or sleep mm. the same amount every day. We don't, so babies don't either. Mm. And sometimes these apps can cause so much anxiety. Yeah, setting you up in unrealistic expectations. Absolutely, and particularly with first-time mums over COVID mm. where they're so isolated and a lot of them weren't going anywhere prior to giving birth because they didn't want to get COVID and mm. and be separated from their partners. Yeah. And then after they have the baby, they go home and they didn't go out because mm. everybody was scared of getting sick. Yeah. So yeah. they were spending all this time overthinking and overanalyzing what this baby was doing and it can cause so much anxiety. Mm. Whereas as soon as you realise that you can't control it, <laughs> yeah, sometimes be, it takes a long time you know, to realise. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to ride that roller coaster. Mm. You're going to have a bad day and you're going to have a bad day. It's a write-off. Mm. An app's not going to fix that. Mm. No. I think that's sometimes why the second 
child can be a little mm-hmm. bit healing because mm. you've already come to that realisation. Yeah. Whereas I know with Will, it took me a good eight to nine months before mm. I relinquished my desire for control. Yes. Mm. And that was probably from my health professional background of having to problem solve and having mm-hmm. to fix and there must be an answer and why can't I get this right so that he sleeps seven till seven. And I remember like <laughs> he was like five months old and sitting. And starting to like crawl, which is very early mm. in like developmental milestones in the app. The sleeping schedule things had put a muslin wrap over their bassinet or their cot so they can't make eye contact <laughs> with you. And then after that, they're and like, don't like, put the muslin wrap over <laughs> anyway, there. Yeah. And so they, so they can't see you and just sit there and go, shh. And so like he would reach out <laughs> sitting and pull the muslin wrap back and be like, and raise his eyebrows <laughs> and like close it again. And I'd like, shh, just do it. This is a great yeah, game. Yeah, he'd love it. it. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? He's meant yeah. to be lying there asleep. And oh, anyway, so it just, yeah. he was like, I'm going to throw you so many curveballs. Uh-huh. You're going to learn all about your life here. And there are so many books. Yeah, so many books to read. So many books that tell you how to do it. Mm. Yeah, I empathise so much with the control thing, <laughs> especially being so autonomous and looking after yourself and not another human apart mm. from your husband uh, <laughs> for so many years. <laughs> and having so much control over your mm. day and yes. your sleep and all these things and all of a sudden it all yeah. goes out the window. Yeah, This night. mini human comes along yeah. and throws it all up in the air. Yeah. Last night Sam only had one feed and then today I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is, this is, I still woke up in the middle of the night, yeah. but I'm like, yes. <laughs> I still laid awake for four hours waiting for him, leaking it <laughs> I know, it's funny, isn't it? Or you wake up anxious because they haven't mm. woken up. Oh, that's happened to me many mm. times. <laughs> You're like, oh God, what's wrong? Are you I'm sick? Like, go and that's poke, my, him, poke him a bit. <laughs> whenever my kids sleep. Don't wake him up. <laughs> six o'clock, I'm like, oh no, someone's getting sick. That's the only reason they sleep. But yeah, no, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to relinquish that control. And it's almost like you can't tell people to relinquish control Mm -hmm. because it's a journey of discovery. That's right. Speaking about being sick, between about – so it's late February here now. Between late September and January, we have honestly had some unknown virus which led to Seb not being able to feed very well and dehydration concerns, COVID, croup, an ear infection, gastro – He's not been in daycare. I've not, I've been quite, I've been trying to be quite cautious in terms of if I think he's sick, don't take him for like an entire week to where other babies are going to be, which is not good for me because I like being out and about, but I've needed to do that. And I'm just, I, we went, I went back to the GP last Friday because he'd been really grisly and pulling on his ears a lot. And he said, no, he he doesn't have an ear infection. I do think it's teething, which I said, I think you're going to tell me it's teething, but I just want to check it's not another ear infection. But what he did say was, I've looked and given that he's not unwell right now, his tonsils are really big Mm -hmm. and they shouldn't be that big (laughs) when he's not unwell. So we've got a referral for an ENT, which is now going to be like a month and a half before we can get in. Yeah. Um, but is, is the oversized tonsils likely to be related to having all these other things? Or people say, oh, is he allergic to anything? Does he have autoimmune? How do I know if there's something wrong or if it's just been bad luck? Like, Or he's just got big tonsils. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I have know? big tonsils. I mean, I'll, I'll just preface this with Seb's not, uh, he's not small. 
like in no. the charts. Like where does he see on his growth curve? Oh, above everything. Yeah, yeah. he's he's an, a normal trajectory. Like yeah. he's on his. So normal we just booked some. Just we booked some overseas. I've just booked some overseas flights, and the because I'm with it, traveling with infant, it's automatically put me on a bassinet seat. And I looked at it, uh-huh. and it was like up to eleven kilos or twenty four months. And I was like, he was eleven kilos two months ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> oh. But to answer your question, the big tonsils are only a problem if they're a problem. It's big, yeah. How do you know if they the, are a problem? They'll be snoring. Yes, yeah, so yeah. adenoids. The yeah. GP said, "Has he been? Is he a noisy sleeper? Does he have his mm. mouth open?" Yes, to both of those quite okay. often. So that's why he said, "Let's get the referral and just check. Yeah. It. Is there anything else? Is that an mm. issue or not?" Thing, but yeah, like that. That in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, if he's had so many things in the last four or five months, do I need to start thinking that there's an underlying problem or is it just no, bad luck or like no. what's what's it's next? Like, yeah. Mm. yeah. So in the first couple of years of life, they can get a new infection every month mm. and that's well within normal. Obviously, if they're invasive infections, bacterial like pneumonia and pus and mm. recurrent pussy ears and then you have to start thinking, is there something underlying here? But if it's an otherwise healthy, thriving child, it's highly unlikely. And they've had one different thing each month kind That's of right. thing. That's right, yeah. Well, that sounds nice really hear, reassuring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, but would you expect, Aggie, there, would you expect Seb, when he, if he is unwell, to be de- like learning new motor skills and things in that time frame? Or what no, would you expect? I, when kids get sick, they do regress a little bit. Yeah. Like you were saying, don't feed. There can sometimes be a bit of weight loss or static weight gain. And I don't think they would be no. gaining new skills, but you're not probably using a little ca- bit. Yeah. Well, they're not really using their calories to do new things. No, they are yeah. using it to That's right, to heal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's like people are expecting this like linear trajectory mm. of development and there's always things changing. Yeah. It's important that we see progression, but you have to take into account illness so many factors. parents going away when yeah. like their system might just be a little bit more stressed or different things happening and so when we talk about development and because I always get the question but my baby should be crawling by eight and a half months I'm like, well, <laughs> who, said, who said should, <laughs> yeah. should. Who said should? <laughs> yeah. and there's a variant and we have to take into account your child and, and their unique journey happening over and the their whole yeah. stuff so I think it's just hard to get that message across Mm, there's, there's so variance. much variability. And you would see that across so many more developmental domains yeah. as well. Absolutely. I don't know how you hold it in all in your head. I don't either. <laughs> I look things up a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's good to know where to access them. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's we have our special guests come on in different areas, but motor development is enough for me mm. to hold it in my head. Mm. Yeah. And that's still a lot. I do look things up. I can't remember everything all the time. But just the way you do it, you're so reassuring and empathetic and validating. Thank it's nice. you. It's really nice. What it other questions? really nice. Do you oh, have? What else did I have on my list? Bring your list. Did you have anything, Helen? I think I've asked most of the things that I put in there. Oh, um, I've got one if you guys are busy. Yeah, go for it. So I'm the TikTok scroller here. <laughs> oh, I have a, oh, no. I have a large following on Instagram, which makes it really hard to – my feed's always filled with all my stuff that I do. So I like TikTok for the random algorithms, so a bit of Taylor Swift and <laughs> strange things. But I often see TikToks of or reels of babies that are little, so under 12 months, between 6 to 12 months, and parents will say, early signs my child had autism at 6 months and they've got like flapping their arms or – doing things which I know are very stage appropriate Mm -hmm. for that baby. So at six months, like I know that 
flapping is like a normal communication yeah. way. But like when – like. How do you tackle that? Like, how did you see that a lot? Do you get parents coming in being like, oh, these are the things I'm really worried about? Mm-hmm. What are some developmentally normal signs, like normal things that they'll go through, like flapping arms or spinning things? Or like, yeah. when, when are they age appropriate and when would you see that start to shift or when would you be worried? <laughs> or even the mouthing, right? Yeah, the mouthing. Because like, mouthing gets asked thing. all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Gagging? When, yeah. yeah, gagging. Like, yeah. when mouthing, gagging, spinning, thing. Um, I was like, when do you yeah. first start to see them? And when, by what age are you thinking, oh, yeah, that we should be moving past that now? Probably from about 18 months. Yeah. But there's got to be other red flags as yeah, well. Yeah. It's not the only thing. No. And I find that they're so stressful because parents are like, oh, my God, my baby's doing that. I'm like, yeah, all babies are doing that. Yeah. Flapping, rocking, head banging. Oh, the head banging, actually. Yeah. That's one that heaps um, around 12 months. Yeah. I always get parents say, oh, my God. Or even forward. Oh, my God, my child started head banging. How can I fix it? herself to sleep. That's how she self-soothed. Yes, Will was the same. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And other people are like, what is your child yeah, doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I I think like when should what are some signs that you think parents should like not the signs particularly but when should you be worried is it like that it continues for past for over six months or it's pointing's a good one yeah pointing for social reference so not pointing to something they want mm. pointing for shared enjoyment mm. so oh look at the bird or yeah um and also bringing parent things for shared enjoyment yeah. So Rather than being engrossed in their own world, in their own world, in their own. So company. they're like seeking your That's cues right. and seeking your. Is it safe or is it dangerous? Or mm. look at this cool thing I discovered. Yes. Okay. So, so that's a big that's one. And we want to be seeing that before eighteen months, or. Yeah. Yeah. Between that twelve and eighteen month mark. About twelve and eighteen months. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's something that we're looking for. And mm. mo- yeah, lots. But of that's not do. necessarily. The only Black and thing. white. Then, yeah, know, of course. Like yeah. Obviously, with autism spectrum disorder, there is a very wide criteria that you mm. have to meet. Yes. So it's not just your deficits in social and emotional development. It's also your repetitive ritualistic behaviours, sensory mm. experience yes. of the world. It's Which is hard because those systems are still developing in toddlers Absolutely. and they are very repetitive. Mm. Yeah. There are so many times where I've unpacked and packed a bag before going on a walk with <laughs> Claire <laughs> over and over again. Which he stopped now, but there was that phase where yeah. it went over and over again. Yeah, it's so funny. Like it's hard to... I think that's why I love paediatricians because you have such a good experience in seeing the wide variety mm, and so yeah. that helps you determine like what would normally sit within variance and when it when there's multiple factors that are sitting outside of that. Yeah, so, yeah. and sometimes there can be lots of different things going mm. on all at the same time and you don't know whether mm. there's going to be autism there or not because it's hard to unpack it and you just have to wait. Yeah. So this might be a bit... Uh, impossible to answer, but I'll give it a go. I know historically a lot of brain research was done on deceased persons who had problems in their brain mm. and basically that ended up in the, the hospital system. Mm. Now that brain research has been done on well people and live people with live MRIs and that kind mm. of thing, do you think we're going to see more neurodivergence or more recognition that brains are not very similar. There's more variance across everything in everyone. Yeah. That's it's a big question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dr. Aggie, speak on, <laughs> on behalf of the whole world. <laughs> Divergence is another big part of my work mm. and I'm really passionate about it and I love it. 
And I think short answer to your question is yes. Mm. People are becoming a lot more aware and a lot more accepting. Mm. And also it probably is just a spectrum of normal mm. human brain function. Mm. But we love a label. Mm. Yeah. I just love I love the shift to being neuroaffirming and meeting the child where they're mm. at and that strength focus rather than deficit focused yeah. and fixing. Mm. So, for example, if you're listening in the past, if kids were not willing to make eye contact, it was like forced eye contact mm. as a social cue. But rather than like now, rather than forcing eye contact as a social cue, like just being like, oh, yeah, cool, I'm here. Like I know they're listening while mm. I'm talking yeah. to them. And so you're not like you're meeting them where they're at and still building their capacity but mm-hmm. not – Forcing them into somewhere that sits uncomfortable mm. for them. That what we would, what is expected in typical society as a mm. social cue. Mm. And I think, social, yeah, emotional. like yeah. cultural mm. differences there as well. Because again, that school I was at yeah. first had about 10 to 15% Aboriginal population yeah. year on year. Yeah. And eye contact yeah. from a junior to an adult is seen mm. as like an aggression, like That's a right. challenge. Disrespect. And yeah, again, if you're expecting that it's only normal if they're making eye contact. If you've been brought up when your entire family doesn't do that Mm. and then suddenly someone you don't know is expecting you to do that. That's hard. Yeah. So hard. But also sustained eye contact is very uncomfortable. (laughs) It's comfortable for most people. (laughs) So the only time, there's there's only like a small amount of situations where there's unbroken eye contact, mothers and infants, lovers, Mm. or if you're engaging in aggressive behaviour. Or a staring contest. Or a staring contest for Fun. <laughs> but even young infants yeah. will break eye contact mm. if it gets that little bit too intense, intense. and they need to regulate. Yeah. They will look away for a few seconds and mm-hmm. then they're oh, back. Actually, yeah, I remember going out, coming back. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Early on, the child health nurse saying that they might be looking at you and then turn their head. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, when you're doing that first few weeks of connection, you might be like, "Oh, I'm over here," and try and follow them, but actually mm. let them look away yep. because it's quite tiring. Yeah, it is actually hard work for them mm. to yep. keep that They're focus. Self-regulating. I've forgotten about that. I'm yeah. having an aha moment. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like after picking him up from daycare, he will be feeding, but he'll be like, "I'm not looking at you," because yeah. he's trying to regulate mm. and get back on. And then once he's, ah, then he'll regain eye contact. Yeah, and I'm like, this "Oh, so." beautiful yeah and there's a big impact on there's a big emphasis on eye contact in school age children as well Mm. and kids if they feel that they're in trouble or they've possibly done the wrong thing they will not make eye contact absolutely (laughs) but they're forced to Mm. yeah yeah it's hard because they're and it's also they need to be like and they they know and they're working through that can we just let them work through that rather than forcing them to confront it if they're mm. not ready or they're not mm. sure how to respond? I don't know. I think we're, we're moving into a, I think a it's phase where we're doing better yeah. as worse with professionals. Worse with um, generational yeah. difference as well. I will mm. notice the look more experienced teachers <sighs> um, are definitely like, look at me when you're, mm. I'm yeah. speaking to you. Claire, my youngest, is very – she starts – she's slow to warm. So she's, she likes to understand a situation before she fully engages and she's mm-hmm. this beautiful little personality but often she just has to get the lay of the land first. Mm. But when our family lives oh, in the country and so we don't actually see them that often and her grandmother is always, hello, <laughs> introduces her but she's not ready to like engage straight away but give your grandma the eye contact, those expected mm. behaviours yeah. but she doesn't want to and in, then in the end we cop her as like bad parents because mm. she's not 
being polite, being polite and using mm. her manners and performing. But I'm like, just give her two minutes or meet her where she's at and play a game and invite her in rather than forcing it. Mm. But how, that's just – we've just come to the realisation that it's impossible to bridge that knowledge gap or change. And so what can we do? And it may do? change as they yeah, get older, a, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we're just trying to do more consistent yeah. time so it becomes more familiar to her so yeah. that maybe it doesn't need as long to find the lay of the mm. land, but it's just that familiarity. And I it's think important. The, Sorry, you go. The change in expectation around body consent about mm. you get a hug or you get mm-hmm. a kiss or you, whatever. That's and where I was and then, then trying to figure out, again, when they're at this age and they're not able to specifically say whether it's something they want or not yeah. and then looking at those cues and... Oh, that, yeah, there's just so much. Like pass a baby to someone and they go, ah, and mm. then put their hands out to mm. you. I'll yeah. grab him back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than being like, you must, you you must, must stay learn with them. to tolerate <laughs> being with another person. Yeah. Yeah. Forced hugs. Yeah. Forced hugs. And is there more research coming out about yeah meeting them where they're at, just protecting them in that moment, letting them warm slowly mm. rather what than being think, like, Maggie? I don't know if there's research necessarily, yeah. but no, I agree with you. Mm. I wouldn't want someone to force me to give a hug. I don't want to. Mm. I just always yeah. think if they were 20 and they were coming in to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give your great auntie Ethel a hug. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> this one. Yeah. It's like and then they give you a big sloppy kiss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a lot of the videos no. for teaching things that you see, I think particularly in America, they're like where the school system's a little bit different and kids go between classes and stuff at younger ages. A lot of the ones you'll see, there's little videos of them at the door, they'll have a little poster and the kid will point to which oh, one. Yeah, so it'll yeah. be like what a fist want? bump or a hug or a just, Wave. I'm just going to walk in. Yeah. Or, yeah. So it's the same the sort of thing, but at a, That's cool. a younger level. Mm. Yeah. Like how do you want the teacher to greet you as you walk into mm-hmm. their room sort of thing? Mm. I just, yeah, anyway, food for thought. Mm. Let's get back on track. We do have one more question, Aggie, before we let you go, which Helen asked, and I said, let's ask Aggie, Dr. Aggie, when do our babies start to know themselves, like that's them in the mirror and that they're part of the problem? So if they're standing on something but they're trying to pull it, that they're the one that's actually standing <laughs> Or they've on just it. pushed yeah. all of their toys onto the floor and then they've stood on their toy and fallen over and now they're crying because the floor hurt them. Yes. <laughs> 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 they have that like concept of it's me. Hi. I did that, and then that <laughs> happened. <laughs> Problem. <It's me>. <laughs> 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 Sorry, guys. I'm Tay Tay. I love that brain. song. I know. Did she sing it at yes, the concert? She did. It was oh. great. Oh. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun night. <laughs> yeah. I have to think about that one. Um, mm. Or even that's recognition. But even what are some of those social emotional things? What yeah. ages will they? Where they realize work out mm. those things. That self-concept is probably about 18 months, realising they they can make their own decisions probably between 18 and 24 months where they realise they're their own little person in the world. They're no longer a part of your body. Mm. They have their own wants and opinions. It's so wild to think that's actually quite late, like in terms of 10 and a half and 11 months that Mm. we've got at the moment. We're still half a year away from that and yet it seems at the moment like they know that they're their own little thing but Mm. not really yeah it's an interesting concept isn't it Mm. and then how do you measure it (laughs) yeah Geo at the moment, the when he really wants that connection it's like he's trying to he like tries to eat my Mm. face and then it's like he wants to be connected to yeah. me it's he's like how can i like yeah. connect to you like mm. physically yes because I'm, like, well, I'm part of you that's yeah. right i'm yeah, an extension so of you. interesting yeah 
And then that individualisation starts again in adolescence. So that's another Mm. major leap and a time of major brain development. So Mm. Dan Siegel, who wrote The Whole Brain Child, has also written a book called Brainstorm, which is about the adolescent brain. (laughs) (laughs) Good name. (laughs) (laughs) So much information. What's happening in there? Oh, do you guys have any other questions for Dr. Aggie? Mm. I feel like we could keep her here all day. I know. Yeah. We could just all keep like little nuggets of information. I think mm. if we put it all in a nutshell, there's a huge variance of normal. Yep. And like the one of the biggest things that impacts development is connection yep. and attachment. Mm-hmm. And there are people to help if you're having a tricky time with that. Lots of people to help. And babies are really resilient. Yes, they're so resilient. And that their brains are constantly growing and adapting and changing. And so you can change that influence. Yeah, it's time. a massive time of growth, the first yep. three years. Mm. Yep. Attachment isn't fragile. It's We can rupture and repair mm-hmm. and it's that consistency over time. Um, and that if you're worried that something is not right, it can be just normal a normal phase and mm. it's looking at that big picture and chatting to someone yeah. like you dr aggie yeah. or your gp or someone reliable in peds that can talk through that and workshop don't rely on social media no no <laughs> because then you'll be a victim of smug celebrity syndrome mm. what's um, that it's it's a term i've come up with oh. <laughs> is that what you say about me <laughs> no no it's like just the celebrities who you know tell you that you're doing it wrong and they're so smug like I don't want to name names but like mm. one who chews her food and then feeds her child oh my God. by spitting it into his mouth and then um, <laughs> you know like, I'll they, do that if I'm desperate at yeah. an airport or something uh, <laughs> no well you know the thing that I think tipped me to um, <laughs> coin smug celebrity syndrome was a supermodel who said she had her first baby and she said it should be law that every mother has to breastfeed her baby until nine oh. months and I was just ropeable. I just saw red. The judgment there and the mm. smugness just because she could breastfeed. Yeah. I was just like, That's I wanted to go and burn no. cars in the street. Yeah. <laughs> and I flipped my lid. <laughs> I flipped my lid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it's really hard. And like I see it all the time where someone's, oh. I went to this health professional and they told me that I needed these special iron tablets to help my kids sleep and now they sleep great and I'm like oh but there's so many other factors and they've had individual Mm. assessments and different things but like then everybody wants to buy that magic because we're all human we want to control things we want you go to the chemist you're like oh I am a bit obsessed with iron though I have to say I am too but anyway but (laughs) yeah you have to have the right people yes yes yes. Um, it's not just the iron tablet no of course not yeah it's not and you have to have the right understanding of the whole things that are happening for that child and different stuff like that but yeah it's just like the magic sleep cure all of a sudden and Mm. like actually sleep is normal there's normal Mm. variance Mm. i don't even think i sleep the same every night there's no no way magic sleep cure no but anyway so that's the in a nutshell did you have any more in a nutshells i think you summarized that really Mm. well yeah yeah Yeah. agreed do you have any i don't know any other little nuggets (laughs) (laughs) any life life advice (laughs) what should we be expecting can you be more specific (laughs) i know i I just remembered one thing i hope this isn't a whole new topic but as i just mentioned we've got the ent referral Mm. going to a specialist Mm. like that or coming to you yeah as someone who hasn't been to that person before, are there things we always should be asking or expect to be talking about that that might not yeah. Yeah, instantly come up? Or is it led by the it assessment? To, it or? tends to be led by the assessment, but I do like it when parents come in and they've written things down mm-hmm. because sometimes mm. when you're in that moment and you've waited a long time for the yeah. appointment and it can all be a bit stressful and overwhelming getting there with a child and you're waiting and mm. the parking and so you might forget 
Mm. And then you go home and go, oh, I forgot to ask that question. So write them down. Bring your purple book. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah if you're in Victoria, it's green. Yeah, bring your baby book. Bring your baby book. Yeah. With yeah. all their measurements and developmental yeah, milestones yeah. and growth charts yeah. and all that stuff. I've actively been trying to write down all the little things that happen week yeah. by week, just little Great. notes. So if in the future at any point I, I was to need to see a mm. paediatrician or anything, I've got all that information. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise you'll forget. Know. Yeah, it's uh, hard. You do forget oh. like, m- month by month. And mm. write down all the funny breakfast. things they say. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Have yes. a book and write them down because yes. they're so funny. I look back at them now and we just laugh. It's Someone great. needs to make an app where you <laughs> record <laughs> all <laughs> no, without, no without the black and white. You should be doing this by this age. <laughs> I think it's just called Keep Notes. Yeah. It's literally in my Samsung notes. <laughs> Aggie, these guys are coming into the 12 to 18 month period. What's something in 12 to 18 months that is your favourite developmental progression, that delighting? Oh, and so what's, much a, fun. what's a tricky thing that is sometimes a little bit tricky to navigate? So I think 12 to 18 months, you're going to get the tantrums and the big feels. Yeah. The and big flip the lids. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the no. Yeah. Defiance. That's that. Geo thinks that this means yes Mm. at the moment, which is quite funny. (laughs) And probably a bit of poking mum to get a reaction or dad to get a reaction. It it kind of. Yeah, pinching, biting. Yeah, a couple of the people in the circle of security mm. session that I'm in have got like two-ish year olds or, or 18 months or so and they're there because they're trying to figure out what's going on with mm. biting. Mm. Biting's very developmentally normal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it's also like a time commonly where like we we as caregivers pick up more work mm. and life or mm. there's a new sim. There's yeah. often a yeah. bit Big of it, very, again. lots yeah. of change things happening. And like you said, they're poking, they're trying to mm. get a reaction or attention and whether you you might not even be there. Often they're at their early childhood centre mm. and yeah, they're biting they someone else. Things, but yeah. it's looking at that whole picture and what else is happening in that, that yeah, big lens. It could lens. be sensory seeking. Yeah. Yep. It's also testing the fence, isn't it? It's yeah. testing the boundaries. Mm. What's going to happen if I do this? Is this a safe thing to do? Mm. How far can I push it? Yeah. Oh, and that's back to you guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mr. Seb is awake. I love all that, Aggie. Thank you so much for coming on today, guys. Dr. Aggie Bukowski is a wonderful developmental paediatrician here in Perth. General paediatrician. Okay, let's pause that. But I do like the development. I know. Well, I, was thinking, I was talking about development. Dr. Aggie Bukowski is a wonderful general paediatrician here in Perth, and we thank you so much for coming on today, sharing your knowledge and your time and having a coffee with us yeah. and making us feel really good that we've got this parenting thing. So thank yeah. you. Thank and thank you, you. Thank for, you for making too. it so reassuring. Aww, yeah. And if you me. have yeah. loved this podcast, please come and rate and review or send us a message so I can pass on to Dr. Aggie your wonderful messages about her wonderful empathetic, validating, relaxed nature. She's just <laughs> the best. I love her. So, yeah, any thank questions, you. guys, please pop them down in the Q&A or send us a message. And as always, happy playing. I wanted to introduce you to my online membership, the Baby Play Academy. With over 250 purposeful play ideas from birth to walking, masterclasses on rolling, crawling, walking and baby sign language, bonus extras, webinars from paediatric experts and tummy time and sensory play PDFs, over 150 frequently asked questions at your fingertips and my favourite, on-hand support from my team of physio, OT and speech as well as hundreds of other parents in our online support forum. It is everything you need to play, connect and reduce the anxiety around development in that first year and a half of your baby's life. Come and check it out at www.babyplayacademy.com.
I would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place and acknowledge that they never ceded sovereignty. I pay my respect to the elders, both past, present and future. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Baby Banter. If you've enjoyed it, or if you have more questions, let's continue the conversation over on my Instagram, Nicole underscore kids video. Do you know a new parent or have a family member with questions? I would love it if you could share this podcast with them. Don't forget to leave a rating and review and I'll see you next time on Baby Banter. Hey mum, it's time for Baby Banter.